If I can brag on one of the kids in our church, I was in here earlier and uh, just getting ready, and uh, there were several kids in here, as they tend to do, congregating in this place where the congregation is supposed to be. (laughs) And uh, Johnny looks at the uh, whiteboard and says, you must be talking about Abraham. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, descendants, land, and blessing. Who else could it be? <laughs> I thought, hey, that's, that's pretty good. I think we're doing all right, Mom and Dad. Good job. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. So, All right, well, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, where we'll be that you're doing in the world, that we would just have a greater understanding and a greater faith, and that we would hang on to your every word. Uh, we ask, again, your blessing on this study. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Um, well, we looked last week at the end of Genesis 11, where God called Abram. Are we all set up and recording now, Tyler? Okay. I'm going to draw on your knowledge here of... Abraham and this whole scenario. Was Abraham young or old as God starts to work in his life? Yeah, old, isn't he? Pretty old. Yeah. How old was he when he became Abraham? Do you remember? He was 99. How would you like a name change just before your 100th birthday, right? (laughs) Was uh, Abram and Sarah, were they fertile or barren? Okay, yeah, that one's pretty obvious, right? Was Abram famous or unknown? Yeah, it wasn't a famous guy, right? No one is just famous because we know him in the Bible, right? He's famous now, but at the time, he wasn't like some famous guy. All right, so I want, I want you to remember these things and the role of faith in this whole process. Because what's God promising to him? That he's going to have many descendants. What? Not only are we not having children and we've been trying, but now we're past that time. We've retired from that. Wow. Uh, I'm going to make your name great. He's from the land of Ur. He says, this pagan wanderer. What do you mean you're going to make my name great? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Wow. Okay. Well, let's pick back up in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and let's see the initial promise given to Abram. Would someone read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and verse 7? Go ahead. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to be to the Lord who had appeared to him. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to start outlining the elements of what is promised here to Abram. Okay? We need to recognize, see what's going on and what's promised, that we understand what God has said. At this point, we don't have covenantal language used. Okay, this, we have promises of God, that's for certain. And later, a covenant will be ratified, and we're going to look at that tonight. We don't have the beginning of the covenant right here. We have promises that are given, and later those will be ratified into a covenant. And I do think there is a distinction, by the way, between promise and covenant. Not every promise of God means that He's entered into a covenant though every covenant does contain promises. It's kind of like not all, rectangles are, not all squares are rectangles, but all rectangles are squares. No. Other way. Yeah, yeah. Where are my geometry experts? <laughs> so, not all promises are covenants, but all covenants contain promises. And, and a great illustration of this is, uh, who, who are these two sons that Abram ends up having? What are their names? Both start with I. Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac. Which... This is a trick question. Which one of them received promises? Both of them. But which one was the covenant son? Isaac. 
Okay. Now, what, do you remember what Ishmael was promised or what was promised about Ishmael when he was just a little baby? Yeah, yeah, that he would be a great nation. A great nation would come from him. Now, with Isaac, that's where you get the promises from the Abrahamic covenant repeated. You don't have those covenant promises repeated to Ishmael, though he does get a promise. Uh, Isaac, however, is the covenant son. It's going to be through Isaac where you're going to get Jacob, and Jacob's name's going to be Israel, and he's the name of the nation, and there's a house of Jacob. He's got 12 sons, 12 tribes. You, they're the covenant people. You don't have that through Ishmael's line, even though Ishmael received a promise, okay? But let's, uh, let's break down these uh, elements that are promised here. One of the children there messed me up. Uh, <clears throat> the descendants, the land, and the blessing, and we'll just go in that order, start with the descendants. And where do you see that initially in this passage that Rex read for us? Where does it talk about the descendants? Okay, yeah. I will make you a great nation. You can't be a great nation without people, right? <laughs> you need people. And these people were going to come from Abram. Let's uh, turn over to chapter 15. This is where we get into the covenant. We begin to get into the situation, the context here, where God makes His covenant with Abraham uh, specifically. And let's look at verses 5 and 6. Someone want to read Genesis 15, 5 and 6? Go ahead. All right, so His descendants will be as the stars, stars. And the point there is innumerable, isn't it? So not just a few, uh, like me, perhaps you've heard me say, I'm the last, well I was, the last Howard male in my particular Howard line. Okay, so if I didn't have any sons, this is where the buck was going to stop. But I've had two sons now, and hopefully they'll each have a couple of sons, and on and on our family line will go. Well, that family line was in jeopardy. God is here saying that you're going to have descendants who are innumerable. You don't really get the sense that that family line will ever be in jeopardy, that there will ever be a possibility that uh, this family will die out because the descendants will be innumerable. Go to chapter 17 with me, Genesis 17, verses 6 through 8. Someone want to read 17, 6 through 8? Who's got that? All right, so in verse 6, I like that language, exceedingly fruitful, okay. exceedingly. And of course, there's some other language there that would be interesting for you to do a study on, follow cross-references through your Bible and look at some other aspects of what God is promising there. But He's going to continue to be the God of this man's descendants, this man, Abram. And then uh, chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, this is the amazing account of when God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, what did Abraham know about Isaac? He knew that this was the covenant son, that it's through this son that all this is going to happen. And now God has called him to sacrifice his son on the altar. But according to Hebrews, what did Abraham believe? That God was going to raise him from the dead. And why did Abraham believe that? Yes, that's it. Because Abraham believed in the covenant promise of God. He literally believed he was going to have descendants. It was going to be through this son. And so that actually led him to the place of believing in a resurrection. Let's uh, read verses 15 to 18, Genesis 22. 15 through 18. Someone read those for us. Who's got it? Okay. All right. So we get in verse 17 that the seed of Abraham will greatly multiply. 
God is going to greatly multiply Abraham's descendants. All right, so you have that initial promise in chapter 12. God's going to make of this man, Abram, a great nation. But then as the relationship between God and Abram goes on, and we have more and more revelation, we see more detail about this. His descendants will be as the stars. Abram's going to be exceedingly fruitful. God's going to greatly multiply his descendants. And again, it's important to note that these promises were given to the couple, you know, when you think about before Isaac was born, when they were old. Paul said that Abram at that time was as good as dead. No offense to anybody, right? (laughs) He was as good as dead. Okay, I'm not going to say that about anybody, but Paul did, I'm just saying. And it's also significant to notice as you read through Genesis that this promise of many descendants and a great nation, multiplication, exceedingly fruitful as the stars of heaven, it's important to see that that's repeated to Isaac and it's repeated to Jacob. Don't you know several times throughout the Bible it talks about God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's because you get the promises repeated. That's the covenant line. That's the covenant family. It's through not only through Abraham, but it's through Isaac and Jacob as well, which is really important because, uh, you know, just here and there, I'm just going to throw in little theological things for you to chew on, okay? Some people will say, well, look, the New Testament says we're children of Abraham, so that means we as Christians are Israel. Well, no, because Israel is Jacob, isn't it? And how often does the Bible talk about the house of Jacob? Well, actually, several times. And when it talks about physical descendants of Abraham, those are Israelites. Now, we are children of Abraham, that's true. We're children of Abraham by faith. We are like Abraham in our faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? That's repeated in the New Testament several times. And so we are like Abraham. We are children of Abraham in that sense. But we're not children of Jacob. We're not. We are not this physical lineage of descendants that was promised to not only Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob. Okay? We're still, by ethnicity, we're still Gentiles. Okay? And there's a, a continual aspect to all this. These passages we just read, I mentioned this uh, earlier, you don't get the sense that God is saying, hey, this is what's going to happen to your line. I'm going to multiply uh, you, and you're going to have all these descendants. But, you know, any time now, it could just cease, and they'll die out. You don't really get that sense at all, do you? Uh, in fact, as the story goes on through the Old Testament, you see they're going to be around till the end. We're going to look at a passage here in just a bit where it talks about in the latter days. All the way back in Deuteronomy, God was using Moses to talk about the latter days and how Israel is going to be regathered in the latter days. So there's a permanent aspect to all this with the descendants. There's a permanence, unlike every other family of the earth, they're not in jeopardy. And, and that's interesting to note. Israel's still around, aren't they? The Jews are still around. I mean, that's just something that everyone has to realize. They're around, and, and they, since 1948, they have statehood again, recognized by the rest of the world. Um, I do want to point out through each of these the uh, benefactor of each of the blessings, because there's a narrow aspect and a broad aspect to all of this. Who is the main benefactor of the promise of many descendants? I'm going to say Abram himself. Abram is the benefactor. Okay? His, it's his family line. It's his family line that's going to continue. It's going to explode. He's going to be the, he's the benefactor of this promise. When God made this promise, who was it a blessing for? This was a blessing for Abraham. He benefited from God's promise here. Okay? And I'll do that for each one, and maybe we can come back and revisit that aspect of each of the promises within the covenant. But, uh, but that's basically the big idea when it comes to descendants. So if you were to sum up with this aspect of the, of the covenant, what was Abram to believe what would you say, just in one sentence? What was Abram to believe as God made this promise? Just plain... Yeah, that's it. That he would have a physical line of innumerable descendants that would last. I think that's pretty plain and clear, don't you? That's the element of the promise, okay? Any questions on descendants before we move on to land? 
Doing all right? Okay. Well, uh, go back to chapter 12. Uh, again, the initial promise of God, Genesis chapter 12. What do you see about land in here, about real estate? Okay, so you get in verse 1, this idea, Abram, get up and go, right? (laughs) Go, and he's going to a specific land that God is going to show him. And then if you drop down to verse 7, which I also asked Rex to read earlier, the Lord appears to Abram there as he's in the land of Canaan. And God says plainly, to your descendants, none of whom had been born yet, by the way, So, recognize this as a part of Abram's believing the land. He's also having to imagine that he's going to have descendants and believe that God means he's going to have descendants. To your descendants, I will give this land. So, this is actual, specific property that was given to Abraham and his descendants. And I think one of the most astounding passages and one of the clearest passages on this is in the very next chapter, Genesis 13, the end of it, starting in verse 14. Genesis 13, 14 to the end. Would someone read that for us? I think this is just marvelous. Who's got it? Genesis 13, 14 to the end. Go ahead. All right, so there, if you're taking notes, you can add to the descendants column what we just read. They're going to be as the dust of the earth, not only as the stars of heaven, but as the dust of earth. But uh, let's start making some notes on the land here. It's the land of Canaan, okay? And that comes up, I don't know, a time or two in the Old Testament, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it comes up quite a bit, all right? And... um, I just love verse 17 that Joseph just read. God tells Abram to get up and walk about the land, its length and its breadth. I think that is just amazing. And he says, I will give it to you. Now, it's later revealed to Abram that he specifically isn't going to enjoy that specific plot of land. I think that's why Hebrews says that he was longing after the heavenly city because Abram knew he wasn't going to get to enjoy that land. But his descendants were the ones who were going to be there. And because he's the benefactor of his descendants, uh, God could say, I'm giving it to you. Your line is going to enjoy that land forever. But let's make special note of that word in verse 15. In the New American Standard, it's the last word of verse 15. What is it? Okay. It is a forever possession. If you were going to describe the expiration date on this promise within the covenant, what would the expiration date be? Infinity, right? (laughs) Okay. It's a forever promise. It's really important that we note that God said specifically this belongs to His descendants forever. Let's go to chapter 15 now. Genesis 15. And this is where we get the explicit covenant language. If uh, you remember, God had Abram go to sleep, and well, before that, what did, he, what did He call Abram to do? Starting in verse 9. That's right. It was slaughterhouse time, wasn't it? He had to go get some animals. And so God is here setting the stage for an official covenant ceremony, is what this is. Think of all the things that you do to prepare for a wedding ceremony, an official wedding ceremony. Ceremony, it's a covenant ceremony. Okay, so this is something similar to that. It says in verse 10 that the animals had to be cut in two, each half opposite the other. Okay, sun was going down, deep sleep fell on Abram, verse 12. Okay, and God says to Abram, this just amazing thing. I'll just start reading in verse 13. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Wasn't he there already? (laughs) How old is old here, God? (laughs) Verse 16, 
Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, Kenizzite, Cadmonite, Hittite, Perizzite, Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. All right, so you have this deep sleep coming upon Abram and this vision of what's going on. God alone is passing through the pieces, the animals. Abram's not going through the pieces, but he has this vision of a smoking oven and a flaming torch passing between the pieces. And that's the symbol of God Himself making the covenant. And so this is clearly uh, an unconditional thing. You don't have two parties coming together with a contingency plan or if-then condition. What you have is God demonstrating His unconditional faithfulness to this promise that this land belongs to them forever. And this is just absolutely amazing. When Abram fell asleep, there was no covenant. He woke up, there's a covenant. Uh, It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant. That's verse, what is that, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. And so, uh, he had promises of God, but now he has explicitly a covenant. Okay, And so, um, what can we mark out here about the land promise as we're looking for details here? Okay, very good. So, and it's a detailed chunk, right? Yep. Yeah, you could say detailed boundaries. God gave the boundaries, didn't He? And I think here we can add in unconditional covenant. Unconditional covenant. Now, we talked last week a little bit about, you know, with chapter 12, Abram had to get up and go. Is that conditional or unconditional, those promises that God was making then? And, you know, you can make different arguments and talk through that. But I don't think you can make any argument when you get to chapter 15 that there's anything conditional going on here. I mean, God just says, this is what's happening, right? I mean, I think you get that in chapter 13. I will give this land to your descendants forever. But here it's demonstrated quite vividly. And if you uh, go to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, chapter 30, that's the last passage I want to show you on, uh, well, maybe not the last one, but uh, the final one at this juncture anyway, talking about the land. And see how this promise continues. It's not like when Abram died, all these covenantal promises that were made to Abraham went in the grave with him. But Israel hung on to this promise. Someone read for me Deuteronomy 31 through 5. Who's got that? Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5. Okay, go ahead. Right. So we have here the explicit promise of a latter-day return to the land. (laughs) Moses had just finished telling them, here's the law. Here's how you can be blessed if you keep the law. But since you're not going to keep the law, here's how you're going to be cursed, right? (laughs) This is what's going to happen. You're going to endure this curse. And so notice how in chapter 30, verse 1, it starts off by saying, when all this comes upon you, you know, the curse, and you're scattered out of the land, because a big part of the curse for Israel was that if they don't keep the law, they're not going to stay in the land. Now, that land belongs to them forever, but God's going to bring all these enemy nations and boop, 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 punch them, kick them out of the land. Off they go. However, there's a promise here that in the latter days, there's going to be a great return. They will be gathered back to the land and they will obey God. They will be brought back to that specific land. Notice verse 5 says, it's the land which your fathers possessed. Okay, that's going back to the promise made to Abram when God initially said, here's the land. Okay, so um, that's, uh, that's just another factor to consider. So it's the land of Canaan with detailed boundaries, 
It's a forever possession within an unconditional covenant, and there will be a return in the latter days. So if we were to look for a benefactor of this aspect of the covenant, who would you say is the benefactor? I think now we're expanding beyond Abram himself. Good. Yeah, yeah. The nation, right? The nation. Israel. Because as you read through your Bible, you'll notice in the Old Testament, the people of Israel and the land just go together. You see them just together all the time. If they're not in the land, it's about, well, that is their land. They, they want to go back to their land. They're going to go back to their land. There will be a day when they will be back to their land and have peace and safety from all of their uh, oppressors. And God's going to rebuild the cities, and they're going to be very fruitful in that land. You just see it over and over and over again that the people in the land go together. In the Old Testament, it's a very foreign concept to say you have the nation without the land. You just don't see that. You have the descendants without the land. You just don't see that in the Old Testament. And that's because from the very beginning, when God is making promises to Abram, these things are right next to each other. They're side by side. Okay? They go together. God put them together. Okay? That's the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. And there are other passages I could give you on that, but uh, we might come back to those at the end if we have time. Otherwise, we'll look at them starting next week. But if, if you were to sum up in this aspect of the covenant... What was Abram to believe? What would you say? What, what was Abram to believe God about regarding land? Good. Yeah. That he was to believe that God was going to give them a specific land. Right? And this is important because why does God give covenants? Why does He make covenants? That people would believe His words. He doesn't make covenants willy-nilly, so that people will forget. Or that people will say, hmm, I know that's what he said, but I think this is what he meant. And put in some false definition. Okay? God makes covenants. He gives promises so that he will be believed. Any questions on the land aspect right now? Or thoughts to add? Okay. Go ahead. Yes, they, they have a recognized plot of land since 1948, again, yeah. Well, yeah, Jerusalem itself is really divided into fourths. You've got a Jewish part, a atheist, or not an atheist part, Jewish part, Christian part, Muslim part. I don't know, maybe it's thirds, not fourths. But, um, but yeah, Jerusalem itself is very divided. And no, their current boundaries aren't even really close to what God said is theirs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we think of the river Euphrates. Okay, so look on a map, find the Euphrates River. It's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. And then uh, the river in Egypt, there's debate on whether that means the Nile or something else. Seems like the Nile makes sense. Okay. That's pretty far down there, right? They're, they don't go that, down that far. Uh, by some estimations, I think it was Charles Feinberg, by his calculation, it's about 300,000 square miles that God gave them. So, uh, you know, there's give or take on that depending on which rivers were in view and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, they're not occupying the full land, and they've never occupied the full land in their history. If you, if you go to the book of Joshua, actually, let's do that real quick. Joshua 21. Let's look at Joshua 21 real quick. The uh, sixth book of your Bible. Of what? What? Oh, okay. Yep, and that's where I was going. Essentially, it's the same idea in a different verse. Joshua twenty-one forty-three. <clears throat> so it's the very end of the chapter there. In Joshua 21, 43, it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which He had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. So you can hear us preach through Joshua. Just recently we did that, and that's saved where we touch on this. 
But what I want to do now is, you've heard those two verses, Joshua 11, Joshua 21. Now go forward to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. So we just read two verses that said, Israel had all the land. Well, here's pretty, something pretty interesting. Judges, the very next book, Judges chapter 2, it says, The angel of the Lord, the verse 1, came up from Gilgal to Bochim. <laughs> it was an Italian city. Uh, <laughs> and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named the place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. And so what do you got going on? Well, you have the angel of the Lord confronting them saying, you haven't conquered all the land. So when you're reading in the book of Joshua and it says God gave them all the land, what that's saying is God brought them to you know, the, the territory that he blessed. They weren't occupying all the space, but he was giving their enemies into their hand. That's what you're reading through the book of Joshua. He's giving them the land. But they didn't follow him in faith, did they? In fact, after 2143, the first verse I read, you just keep reading and they still had more territory to go, it explains. They hadn't finished the job. And then you get to the book of Judges here, and Joshua dies, and they never finished the job. They made some significant headway, and they had some great successes, and they had a really bright spot in their nation's history, but they didn't finish. You can see if your Bible has headings above verse 11, my Bible says, Israel serves the Baals or the Baals. There they are serving false gods. Before they even drove out all their enemies, they joined the enemy in their pagan worship. So they never fully occupied the land, and that's why, as you read through the Old Testament, it keeps bringing this up, that they are going to return to the land, occupy the land, and have peace and safety and worship the Lord. And even if they did acquire the land at any point where they did have the fullness, it doesn't negate this, that it's a forever possession. When does a forever possession get fulfilled? right? Well, you don't occupy the land and then God says, okay, well, that one's done. Now it's not forever. No, it's still a forever possession for Israel, okay? So that's important to remember. Jim. There. There you go. There's the idea. Yep. Yep. Yes, but... God said, I'm giving it to you if you follow me in obedience. And they didn't. That's it. Melissa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's it. God had a method to the whole thing, didn't he? As he was leading them very methodically, saying, now go take this city, now go do this, now go do that, okay? All right, well, let's get to the blessing aspect of uh, the promise, and then I have some more stuff to say to wrap it all up, um, and then maybe we'll have some time for more questions. But let's go back to Genesis 12. We've, talked, we've seen the descendants aspect there, we've seen the land aspect there, but what's the blessing aspect that's initiated in Genesis 12? What's, what's the blessing deal here? There are a couple different. Okay, yeah, so there are a couple different angles. And like the first one is there in verse 2. God says directly, He's going to bless Abram. I will bless you. And then you get at the end of verse 2, and you will be a blessing. But what's the condition on someone being blessed by Abram? Yes. So you have to be someone who's blessing Abram in order to be blessed by God. Isn't this amazing? God takes this unknown old guy who's a pagan and says, you're going to be the catalyst of blessing for the world. 
That is bizarre. And outside of Jesus, you've got to say Abram is probably the most influential man in history. You've got uh, Muslims wanting to claim Abram, Abraham. You've got Jews. You've got Christians all saying they're children of Abraham, right? And uh, this is a huge element to the overall covenantal promise. I will bless those who bless you, verse 3, and the one who curses you, I will curse. So it's through Abraham that all the earth would be able to access God's blessings. And I want to read to you from Galatians. We get some New Testament commentary on this. Galatians chapter 3, this is verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. The Apostle Paul says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's chapter 15. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. (laughs) So if you become a child of Abraham, meaning you have faith in God, that's how we become children of Abraham, is by being united with him in faith, then we are blessed with him. We are under God's blessing because we have imitated Abraham by being believers, okay? So, blessing is, uh, let's, let's see, we can start off by saying it uh, directly from God, that's where we can start. Abram was directly blessed of God. Um, all others had to believe in Abraham's God. Okay? So, to get the blessing of God, you have to believe in the God of Abraham. To bless, to truly bless Abram, you were to believe in Abram's God. That's the argument that Paul is making in Galatians 3. Abram, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so you too are children of Abraham if you too believe and you are blessed with him. Okay? So there's a unity with Abraham in faith when you believe in the God of Abraham who gave these promises. Now, as we read through the Bible and see all this unfold and how the blessing comes to the world... It's really through another covenant that this promise, this aspect of the covenant, would be ultimately actualized. It's through the new covenant. As Christ comes and He establishes the new covenant in His blood, that's how the blessing ultimately is actualized to the world, isn't it? Uh, to, I mean, now we go out with the message of the gospel. And Paul was saying in Galatians, is something astounding, God was preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Like, what? (laughs) What do you mean, Paul? Well, in that, by believing in God, you can be imputed with the righteousness of God. Abram believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And that's central to the whole gospel message. And it's through Christ that this blessing was ultimately actualized in the new covenant. But even before we get to the time of Christ, we do have some examples of the world being blessed through Abraham those outside of Israel. What are some examples you can think of of Gentiles receiving blessings of God because of their association with the God of Israel, the God of Abraham? Rahab, Rahab, good. It's a very important one. Someone say Ruth? Yeah, good, Ruth. Okay. And probably countless ones that just aren't recorded. Okay. Many who aren't recorded, because you, you see in the Old Testament, they would have sojourners with them in Israel. The alien, the foreigner would be with them, and surely many of them believed. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Naaman? Yep. Yep. Good. What were you going to say, Mandy? Like a, some sort of a ritual to, yeah, I mean, 
Well, you think, I mean, we don't have a lot of stuff specifically recorded on that, so a lot of this would be conjecture or speculation. But, but yeah, I mean, John's baptism was one of repentance. And so you can imagine there would be cases where uh, you had God-fearing people who weren't Jews by ethnicity, but like Cornelius that we read about in the book of Acts. He was a God-fearer. And so people like him who said, you know, hey, I don't know anything about the Hebrew Scriptures, but I, I'm trusting in their God, and, uh, or I'm learning about the Hebrew Scriptures or whatever, and wanted to show that outwardly through some ritual. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so ultimately, this blessing was actualized through Christ in the New Covenant. Now, as we think about the benefactor of the blessing, what is, who's rightly the benefactor here of the blessing? Yeah. What, but believers from where? Believers, but believers from where? The world. Very good. Good. Okay. So we're, we're going to go here international. International believers. So now the scope, running out of space, the, uh, the scope of the blessing is as wide as it can be. Okay. So each of these aspects has a benefactor. The world isn't a benefactor of the promise to have a, a seed greatly multiplied, right? That promise wasn't made to anybody but to Abram. So that's a narrow scope. But it gets a little broader when you think about the land because that's for the whole nation. And then when you think about the blessing that's to come through Abram, that's for the whole world. There's an international aspect to the blessing. And don't we know that's the case as this blessing has been ultimately actualized through Christ? Here we are as benefactors. And we are children of Abraham by faith. This is for us, this aspect. The descendants aspect isn't for us. The land aspect isn't for us. But this one is. And it is through Abram that we have been blessed. What is that, what's that interesting argument that Paul makes later on down in Galatians 3, where he's talking about seed and seeds? You guys remember what that's all about? Yeah. Yes, Paul was like a grammar Nazi, right? He was like, wait a second. It's not talking plural, it's talking singular. In Galatians chapter 3, this is verse, uh, starting in verse 15, Paul says that once a covenant is ratified or initiated, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And he goes on to explain how the law that came later didn't change the covenant that was made. But he makes a specific case here to say, well, look, uh, there's a promise that was given, the promise of blessing, and it was to a singular seed. And if you go to Genesis 22, this is what we looked at earlier, Genesis 22, um, 17 and 18, God says to Abram, Abraham at this time, I will greatly bless you, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And I think this is what Paul had in mind, was verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. I think this is what Paul was referring to, was Genesis 22, 18. In your seed, that is Christ, the one who was to come, the Messiah that was going to be the son of Abraham. Uh, Maybe remember from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, as Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews, Matthew writes, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he's the seed. And it's through him that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And here we are as living proof of that, aren't we? That it's through him that we have been blessed, and so we are children of Abraham. Okay? So if you were to sum this up, what was Abram to believe about this, as God says, this blessing stuff. What was Abram to grab onto here?
One sentence in your own words. Okay, his children will be blessed. Okay. Okay. What about what about the rest of the world? <laughs> yeah, I can't hear your thoughts. You can think out loud. It's all right. What was Abram to grab onto by faith here? If he said, I, I believe that through me, God is delivering a blessing, what did he mean by that? Just at his time, in his own words, so to speak, what would he say? Yeah, and all the other people, right? Yeah. So Abram was believing that God was going to use him and his progeny to bless the whole world. That's a pretty massive promise, wouldn't you say? <laughs> and if anyone else would say that, it'd be pretty egotistical. Like, can you imagine any of us saying that about our families? <laughs> Insert your last name. Our house is a blessing to the world. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, that's pretty intense. <clears throat> but that's what God here is, is saying is going to happen. Right? Now, this all makes up the Abrahamic covenant. This is the Abrahamic covenant. When we refer to the Abrahamic covenant, this is what we mean, the descendants, the land, and the blessing. And uh, this covenant is so important in Israel's history that God gave this covenant its own sign, the sign of circumcision. You see that in uh, Genesis 17. Why do Jews circumcise their boys on the eighth day? Well, it's because God instituted this as a covenant sign. This didn't uh, make them somehow, the, uh, it didn't make God's words true for them. It's like, well, if they stop doing it, then God's going to just say, well, I'm not going to bless you anymore, and I'm not going to give you this land, and you're not going to be descendants anymore. So that didn't make the covenant conditional, but it's a covenant sign. God instituted this that they would remember that they are distinct from all other nations that exist because God had made this promise with them and not with anybody else. Yes. People from above and people from the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is a very interesting one where Paul takes a, a real story and he makes a, uh, a lesson out of it. And he specifically says in that passage, I'm saying this as an allegory, which is, which is interesting. You guys got any thoughts or questions on big picture Abrahamic covenant or any details within before I move on to the last few statements I want to make? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's symbolic and, and it's something that reminds them that because they are children of the covenant promise, they are to live set apart, right? Don't live set apart and then you become children of the covenant promise. But for them, they were, if they were descendants of Jacob, they're children of the covenant because that's where God's promise extended to, unconditionally. But because they are children of the covenant, they were to live in a certain way and to be set apart. And that was one of the ways. And then the law comes along and... The law sets them apart in so many other ways. Don't wear mixed fabric, don't eat this, don't eat that. Uh, all kinds of ways about how they were to treat animals that were distinct from other cultures. And so all of those things were to remind them that they were different because they were covenant people. Yep. Yep, yep. Yes. Well, and to, to throw in a, uh, another theological thing for you to chew on, did you know that this is why Presbyterians baptize babies? Because they believe that they are Israel. That we are Israel. They wouldn't say just Presbyterians. <laughs> they would say that all Christians are Israel. And instead of circumcision, God has given us baptism. And so children are to be baptized. That's the new covenant sign. And they're to be baptized as children of the covenant. Though all good Presbyterians 
would say the children aren't saved, but they are in the covenant. Uh, I don't think they're, they're, no, they're not specific about that, no, no, uh-uh. But, but if you believe you're Israel and that there's this continuous covenant that now applies to you, which you have to do some funny stuff here, don't you know? I mean, this is clear and makes sense, but when it comes to descendants and land, you kind of got to do origami with those passages and uh, come up with something else. But you swap out <clears throat> circumcision, which was the sign of the old covenant, and now there's a new covenant and its sign is baptism. And your children, just like the children in Israel in the Old Testament, were covenant children from the time they were born. Christian children are covenant children from the time they're born, and they need the sign of baptism. Yeah. Well, goofy, huh? All right. Yep. Yeah, the... the the church is the one new man of Ephesians 2, where Jew and Gentile are reconciled. Yep. 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 Yes. Because at least this land promise, right? That's a forever possession, isn't it? So. Well, um, on that very note, Jim, I... I want to close with this thought, because this is the challenge in understanding these aspects, the descendants, the land, and the blessing, is that we don't want to confuse or collapse the benefactors here. We don't want to get those switched around. We don't want to collapse one group into another or morph things together. We want to keep it clean as God has presented it, because the whole point of Him giving covenant promises is that we'd hear His words and believe His words, okay? Uh, so you, as Gentiles, I've already stated it, uh, you and me, we're right here, aren't we? International believers have received the blessing aspect of this covenant that was made to Abram. We are benefactors, okay? But we are not benefactors of the land. You can't fly on over to the land of Canaan and just start setting up shop and say, it's mine. <laughs> no, no. Can't do that. God didn't give it to you. Okay? And you can't uh, you know, say that you're going to have this family line that's innumerable and it's going to continue on forever. No, can't do that. You, you can't just make that up about yourself. The, these are specific promises given to specific people. And so the big idea here is to uh, avoid seeing Gentiles as Israelites or to see the church as Israel. Because some people will say, like I was just saying about Presbyterians, that the church is Israel, Israel is the church. You go back to the Old Testament, you look at Israel, and you can say that's the church. You go to the New Testament, you read about the church, and you say that's Israel. It's just you can swap the terms out, some people will say. But you can't do that. All the way back in God's initial covenant with Abram, he wasn't doing that. Okay? He was making distinctions among peoples. And he built one nation. And he gave one nation specific promises. And there's, there are blessings that come internationally, but that doesn't collapse our national differences that are important to God. Uh, one thing to note about this, too, just to insert a little thought, is that it's actually really um, kind of an ugly thing to try to do away with distinctions. Uniformity is not God's way. It never has been. God is a God of diversity. In the beginning, He made them male and female, didn't He? Um, eternally, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, isn't He? The Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. God is a God of diversity. And even as we stretch into eternity future and go to the new earth, there will still be national distinctions. There will be kings of nations in the new earth. Did you know that? I think that's pretty cool. There will be national distinction in heaven. Because God creates diversity. God is a God of diversity. We see it in the church now. We see it all throughout Scripture. 
And so to kind of start pushing ideas and, and making uniformity where there isn't any is actually kind of an ugly thing to do. But uh, besides all that, we are just simply, as the church, we are not children of Jacob. We are children of Abraham by faith, but we're not the house of Jacob. And we enjoy the blessing aspect of the promise now, or of the covenant now, as the new covenant has been initiated by Christ's blood. But we are still the nations. Through you, the nations will be blessed. We are still the nations. The church is international. And we are not, uh, you know, to be confused with Israel. We're not to start collapsing these categories and pretend like these distinctions no longer exist. As uh, Michael Vlock has put it, he's one of my favorite theologians, he said, both Israel and Gentiles will be related to the Abrahamic covenant, yet each will retain their ethnic identities. Okay, So that's just a basic premise for how we understand how the Abrahamic covenant plays out. We are blessed through the Abrahamic covenant, but we retain our ethnic identities. And you can see this in several places in the, in the Bible. But if you go to Isaiah 19, you don't have to go there now. But Isaiah 19, do you guys remember what God says He's going to do with Israel and Assyria and Egypt? They're all going to get saved. And yet, they're all still going to be Israel and Assyria and Egypt. He's going to call Assyria His people. And He's going to have a, a new name for Egypt. And there's going to be a highway that stretches between them. And they're all going to retain their national identities. Egypt won't become Israel. Assyria won't become Israel. Assyria won't become Egypt. Right? There's still going to be national distinction, and Israel is still going to be Israel through eternity. Isaiah 19, Isaiah chapter 19. Okay. And in addition to that, we've just got a couple minutes left here, we should not see the ultimate actualization of this blessing in Christ, as I put here, that the blessing was ultimately actualized through Christ in the new covenant. We should not see that as the canceling out of other promises. Because what some will do is say, well, since Christ has come and has built this church in the new covenant, and the new covenant has begun, that kind of forgets all this. I mean, that just erases all that stuff. Because you know, why would God even care about Israel and the land of Canaan anymore? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the simple answer, isn't it? <clears throat> and that's an extremely valid answer because God said He's giving it to them forever. Other people will do a little bit of funny business with it, and they'll say, well, when, when God was talking about all this, He had in view something much bigger than what Abram could have even understood. And so what God actually meant is that the church will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. So the church actually now absorbs the land promise from Israel, and it means the entire earth, not the land of Canaan. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. It just doesn't. The Bible says over and over again that there's a specific land that belongs to a specific people, and it's theirs forever. It says that countless times. Not countless, you can count them, but a lot says it many, many, many times over. And it never says anything about the new work, the church, which is a new work, comes along and can give a different definition to these old promises and then say that they're ours now. We're just not allowed to do that. Okay. The New Testament certainly applies this blessing aspect to us, but never the other aspects. Okay. And we'll get into that more next time. But I think I should stop there for this evening, unless we have any other thoughts or questions that need to be addressed. Okay. Well, next week we're going to look at many passages through your Bible. The goal of the next, it'll probably be two weeks, is to look at the Abrahamic covenant now through progressive revelation. So starting in the Old Testament, we want to look at just some of the key points where this covenant is brought up again and how they viewed it in Israel, and then go into the New Testament where it's brought up and how the New Testament talks about it, okay? So that's going to be the goal for the next couple of weeks. I'll pray, and then we'll save the Xanders who don't have any help tonight. So they're just, I don't know, I don't know what kind of condition Sam will be in in there, but we'll pray and go check on them. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for 
the uh, day that we've had today and this time together. Thank you for the promises you've made in your word. Help us to believe the words that you've spoken, that we wouldn't seek to get around your promises, but that we would take you at your word and that we would hang on by faith to all the covenants you've made and that we would just live in light of those as that reality does impact us. God, help us to be faithful stewards of the revelation you've given us and to be faithful to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ as we seek to honor him in the church and in our families for our whole lives. God, we ask your blessing on this specific church that you would help us to grow in our understanding, help us to grow in unity and in spiritual strength that we'd be a blessing to you and to those around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.